0: one of the goals of leadership is to really have your team operate by itself. And so if there's no alignment, you can't trust them to do what the right thing for the business is because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So that's a huge red flag.
1: Hi, I'm Nils Vigna and you're listening to the B2B leadership podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So, head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Jerome Placido. Jerome, welcome to the show. Hey, Nils. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to digging into all things leadership with you, Jerome. But first, would you share with me and our audience the role that you're in today and the company that you work for?
0: Sure, absolutely. So currently right now, I am a senior director of engineering at a company called CourseDog. It's a software company for higher education. I've actually been in higher ed tech for about 10 years. What's unique about CourseDog is that we we deal with an integrated academic operations platform. So we really engage in, and help universities operationally to operate as efficiently as possible with our various solutions that we have from scheduling to course catalog to curriculum management.
1: Cool. And are you guys involved in the actual delivery of the courses or more in the management and infrastructure of how these higher institutions run?
0: Yeah, we're we're more involved on the back end sort of back office thing. So running the actual university and things like that. Got it. And, you know, from a
1: Total outsider point of view looks like one of the most challenging logistical things to align all the professors and all the topics and all the courses and all the times and all the curriculums. And I imagine you guys make that a whole lot easier for these higher
0: ed institutions. Is that right? A 100%. Actually, our scheduling product does exactly that. It takes into account the various faculty, the rooms, and then the courses you'd like to offer, and then actually provide a reasonable schedule to offer. And on top of that, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities there to to optimize for, you know, student engagement, what students will take, what's more likely to be taken from, you know, a student, certain student population and things like that. So a lot of opportunity to, to help universities optimize. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wonderful.
1: All right. So, Jerome, let's go back in the time machine a little bit and would love to hear about how you got into your very first leadership position.
0: Yeah, it's funny because... I wasn't actually looking to become a manager at the time. At the time, I really was trying to prove my engineering chops. And so talking to my manager at the time, I said, hey, I want you to let me handle this project and I will go ahead and I'll take care of everything. I don't want you to worry about a, a thing about it. And so I from the beginning of the release throughout you know, the rest of the six months, which is how long our releases were at that at my past company... I handled it all. I helped to run the you know sprints. I managed uh, triaging bugs with some of my colleagues, and delivered a ton of functionality. And it was only after then that my manager was like, "Well, you did a really good job at that. Have you ever thought about management?" And it totally caught me from the side because I was really pursuing a more leadership role in you know technical leadership, like you know senior engineer, architect, things like that. And so nothing that I considered until that moment. And then after given the opportunity to sort of consider it, realizing that I had some, you know, some skills and competencies that lent themselves well towards people leadership, I began to sort of entertain it a little bit more seriously.
1: Good. Okay. So, and I want to ask you about this because you were the exact example that gets thrown around a lot, right? That when people, The best person on a team gets promoted into a leadership position because they were the best person on a team or because they executed the project really well, just like you, sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. So what was your experience going from that, you know, sole focus on executing incredibly well to then potentially shifting gears
0: and having a completely different focus as a manager? Yeah. I think that's interesting. You make an assumption that I was the best person on the team. I think what I did, I did on that well. project. How about the best person yeah. on that project?
1: Because you were in that project. That's fair. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I happened to work really well with who I consider the best person on the team was, who was an engineer who had joined maybe a year after I had joined. And so sort of stacking up, I'd always realized from a technical standpoint that he would always be better than me. And he was just this brilliant engineer who, if you gave him a problem, he would find a solution and have it finished before the meeting was over, right? I think from that perspective, I agree with you. And actually, one of the shortcomings of a lot of people who move into management is you happen to hire the best engineer on the team and move that person to management. It's a completely different set of competencies and skills and and things you have to do. And what I've seen is a lot of good engineers move into management and absolutely hate it because it's a completely different set of experiences. And so I'm lucky enough to have been a a good enough engineer, (laughs) a set of experiences, you know, in my past life before, you know, entering into tech that I think lent themselves well towards people management. Good.
1: Okay. And thanks for clarifying that and (laughs) and the role and where you were. And it is a common thing. It happens all the time, right? In engineering, in sales, in customer success, in marketing. It's like, oh yeah, the best person. Of course, you're going to lead the team now. And the reality is, I think most, the majority of the time, it probably fails. If that was the only reason why someone was promoted was because of they were the best, right? It really comes down to the fact that you have to be able to take a completely different approach. You have to be able to put yourself on the side and and want to genuinely help grow and develop other people and make them successful if you have any chance to be successful as a manager yourself. Because it's not about you. It's about somebody else. So, I'm curious, after you entertained this a little bit, you took over a team of three, I think you told me about. And how did you navigate the transition from being, you know, executing that project, doing really well in your work, proving yourself as an engineer, to now your focus had to shift? How did you go about navigating that transition?
0: I think the route to management of being able to be promoted from within the team that you're currently on to a leadership role lends itself really well to that experience because hopefully, you've proven yourself not only to your leadership, but to your peers that you are the de facto sort of leader of that particular group. I happened to be in that situation where either by you know virtue of my skills or virtue that no one else wanted to do it, it's, <laughs> we'll assume the first part. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It lent itself really well. So I was still able to partner with my team in that in that we were able to deliver functionality and we were able to function as a cohesive group and not hit too many speed bumps of oh now you're my manager there's this weird dynamic so i think that that lends itself really well it would have been a lot harder for me to have been promoted to management to a net new team as a new manager so that i'm grateful for that experience
1: there's really interesting because sometimes the biggest challenge is in being a peer one day and being a manager to the same group the next day. So you're saying that actually was beneficial as opposed to detrimental. And you would rather have had that situation than been set in, in a net new environment. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that actually molded sort of how I looked at leadership moving forward, just because I really do look at it as a partnership with those who I work with. And so that really solidified sort of my you know, order of operations with how I would interact with anyone who reported to me. It really is a partnership of how we're together going to accomplish things, reserving obviously the ability to veto anything that you feel like would set us in the wrong direction. But that really is what it looked like, I think, for the first even, you know, year of like until we added someone else onto the team of my management of the small team. Okay. Got
1: it. So I'm curious for your advice. If someone is listening to this and perhaps either going through that transition right now in that first year where they were a peer and now they're a manager of three or four or whatever it is, I went through the exact same thing back when I got to that level as well. I was a peer on Friday and I was a manager on Monday, right? What advice would you share with that individual thinking about how to make the most out of the relationships that now have to evolve? Because you're in a different position and responsible for different things.
0: Yeah, I think the number one thing that a new leader, any leader can do, but specifically a new leader in this situation, is to dig really deep for feedback. One of the hardest parts about leadership is you don't know when you're doing it well, because oftentimes there's this stigma about giving a leader feedback and some negative consequence happening. So leveraging this situation particularly where you have strong and close connections with your constituents, with those people who report to you, make for a very easy way for you to get a very small feedback loop so you can quickly course correct. Because regardless of whether or not you've been leading the team as sort of a ad hoc leader, changing into that management role, doing the one-on-ones and performance conversations is a completely different beast. And so... To create that feedback loop gives you a better way to do something that frankly, most people weren't trained to do. I didn't go to school for management and most people didn't go to school for management. So that feedback loop and creating that short reaction time to mistakes is really important.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful advice. I'll share my side and would love to get your take on it. I was fortunate enough. I actually did go to school and I actually did get an MBA in management and organizational behavior before I got into my first technical people leadership position. And it was for the purpose of I recognized it as a big gap. It had been almost, you know, close to 10 years. I was bouncing around as an individual contributor. I had no idea what I was doing in the professional world. I was not adding a ton of value. And so I went back to grad school and it kind of lit everything on fire for me. And I understood where I was supposed to go after that. So I was very fortunate in that sense. This particular strategy didn't really come from grad school, but I think a lot of the learnings there helped to shape what I did. But when I went from that you know, peer on Friday to manager on Monday, my first instinct and first reaction, first desire was, this is not Nilsa's team, right? It's not all of a sudden, oh, now I'm on Nilsa's team. Like, No. I did not want it to be about me, right? Because if it's just Nils' team or Jerome's team, it's just about the leader and everybody else just kind of abdicates everything. Well, I'm on Nils' team, whatever. So one of the things that I did was to work with the team and we did a brainstorm session and we created an identity for our team. I just happened to be the leader of that team. But we actually sat down and defined a set of core values that we all agreed to, that we would uphold and we could hold each other accountable to. And we defined what the purpose of the team even was. So it was a shared purpose. Everybody had a hand in crafting it. Very simple sentence, right? And then it was a brand. And the brand itself was kind of funny. We called ourselves Team Solid for the sole reason that when we looked at the values and the purpose on the board, on the whiteboard in that conference room... This is long, long ago. And somebody just said, "Wow, that's solid," and then that was it. It was like, "Okay, team, we're Team Solid," and that was it. And we all knew what we stood for. So now we had Team Solid, and it was a a living, breathing thing. I just happened to be the leader of Team Solid, but it was no longer about me. And that was that was how I approached it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that kind of approach.
0: Gosh, I wish I had sort of that foresight that you did. So one of the things I, I kept using from that first team, I was like, you guys are just so awesome. We have such an awesome team. And so it just sort of caught on. And so you were team solid. We were team awesome. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we, could have, we could have made a magical combination. We worked in the same company. <laughs> we definitely could have. Um, yeah. And so it happened more, you know, unintentionally the first time around for me. But yeah, I definitely agree that even just creating sort of that team awesome identity, it wasn't just one person, right? And I think the danger of of teams, I'd mentioned before, I, I wasn't the smartest person on my team. There was another engineer who was. The danger of these high functioning, sort of and high performance engineers is they become sort of silos of knowledge. And just if that person goes, the rest of the product goes, the rest of the team goes. Creating that identity really puts the onus of everyone to live up to a certain level of expectation and to bring people with them, right? So not only are you excelling or, or you're building this thing, but you want you know, your peers to know about it, your quality assurance engineer to know about it. And then there's a shared sense of ownership, which is super important in a team. Now the, the leader has a, a duty to sort of protect it, to make sure people feel that way, but it really does become the team stepping up to the plate and owning it as well.
1: And that's what I found to be the most powerful piece, was if I could provide the, the framework and the structure for the foundation of who we were and what we all agreed to and get everybody to verbally and physically write and commit, that I agreed to be part of Team Solid and I agree to uphold these values and this is why, then we can all hold each other accountable. And it was amazing the difference that that made because everybody wants to be part of something that is bigger than themselves and i think it's up to the leader really to chart the path and to share the steps to go through to do that i didn't i had never experienced that prior in my career period and the only times i have experienced poster when i ran the team or i was a consultant brought in and helped organizations build their identity which is wonderful because it, it all does the same thing every time. And it's the same end result, right? It's a more collaborative team. It's a more aware team. It's a more connected team. And it's a higher performing team because everybody wants to be part of this thing. And we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So I love that, you know, you experience the same kinds of things. I'm curious from in the engineering world, right? Sometimes the stigma is that it's a bit more cut and dry, right? Not as much culture is going to come into play and people being part of Team Awesome, you know, kind of see it as cut and dry, right? It's just outside viewpoints and whatnot. I was running a customer success team. We were very... Involved with customers heavily, we had to present all the time, so we were very outgoing and kind of outward focused. So for us, it was totally normal. But what is it like on the engineering side when you get to that team awesome side and you start building this brand? Did it grab hold, and did people, or was it a struggle to get people on board?
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when I think of your typical engineer, it's definitely not someone who's going to get in front and and sort of be like the you know culture cheerleader. I guess I have the the happy accident of being very loud i let's just say that <laughs> loud and a very outspoken sort of personality and so that counterbalances sometimes if you just don't care enough about what people think about you and you just go kind of for that team awesome they'll just accept that as like a, a fact of life and, and they'll just go, whether or not they'll play along with it a hundred percent, they'll go along with it. And, and I think as long as you can get people to come along with you to a certain extent, I think that's that's important. I, I will say though, that after this experience as a line level manager, I ended up heading up a a larger organization where we were part of an agile transformation. And this was a total of, I think, maybe six or seven scrum teams. And one of the first steps that we did was to create that identity. And so all the teams created team names, team agreements, um, values, and and all these different things. And you, you did have engineers who were like, ah, this is dumb. Let me get back to work, right? Like there's no actual output coming from this, that this is not valuable to me. But we had created such a great culture within this organization that there were enough people who were like me who were like, eh, let's do it, Team Awesome, that like, it sort of just, it went forward and it really did create a sense of unity that you just didn't see prior to sort of naming your team.
1: We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to B2B Leaders Academy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. And that's a really good point, like the common refrain of, people who may not be hundred percent engaged or may not want to spend time on doing this or even the organization as a whole not believing in it is what's the output right where where's the hard metric that I'm going to see I'm um, curious for your thoughts on on that and I'll share mine too because I've gone in and consulted with companies to help them do this I've done it myself but there can also always be this or of well, how do you measure what that was really worth? And Nils, if I pay you X dollars to come in and do this, what do I get as a return? So let's talk a little bit about that because this brands the you know the leadership world, and sometimes things are a little bit difficult to measure with you know the hard results that everybody does want to be able to quantify and tie ROI back to, et cetera.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it's 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 really difficult, and I I'd, I'd actually love to hear your side of this because the way that we reasoned it out was just overall. What we're creating is a stronger, more cohesive team. So while we're not having output now, what we'll see is is a more communicative, a more collaborative team on the outset of this. We may not see it like within the first two weeks, but we will see longer retention. We'll see collaboration. We'll, we'll not see knowledge silos and all these different things. And so the end goal actually is more production for you, with the small cost of, it took us like a week to to do these various exercises. So a week versus keeping someone, our retention rate up until, I mean, this was even through the the pandemic, we we had only lost in my five years working there, we'd only lost like maybe five or six people in an organization of 60. And so that strong identity really helps with retention, which obviously helps with a lot of other factors as well.
1: I 100% agree. Retention is a key piece. Productivity is a key piece. One of my favorite exercises to do if people were hesitant about this, or when I was a consultant and um, you know, talking to an organization about this, and I would share what what an identity means and how it works. And they'd be like, you know, why? What, what they'd kind of be a little skeptical. It's like this is woo-woo stuff, Nelson. I'm like, nope, really it's not. I promise. <laughs> but what I what I would do is I said, okay, how about this? How about I I'll give you a link and you just send this link out to everybody on the team and sometimes be 10, 15, 20 people and just answer a handful of questions. Just have everybody answered individually. Nobody's doing this together. It's all anonymous. Nothing's tracked and that's it. And one of the questions that was usually the most revealing and most powerful was a fill in the blank. And it said, the purpose of, and whatever the team name, so if I was working with the customer success team, the purpose of customer success at this company is blank. And I would get everybody to fill out the survey and fill in the blank. And then I would have a meeting with the stakeholders and I would pull up the list of results from the survey and share with them exactly what people said the purpose of their team and their organization was. And you know how many different responses I got every time I asked that question?
0: probably as many participants as there were.
1: (laughs) Bingo. That's exactly it. Every single time. And when you see that in in plain black and white uh, view, just very clearly, you can't ignore it. Now, all of a sudden you look at that and say, okay, if I have 20 people on this team and there are 20 different ideas of what our purpose is, how on earth are we going to be able to deliver what we need to deliver for our customers or for other internal teams? There's just no way. It became clear that the alignment was way out of whack. And then that would be the precursor saying, we need to define this. Like it's really an important piece and can be a huge additive one there.
0: And just based on that, right? One of the, I think in my opinion, one of the goals of leadership is to really have your team operate by itself. And so if there's no alignment you can't trust them to do what the right thing for the business is because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So that's a huge red flag.
1: And we can't hold them accountable to it either because we didn't right. align everybody. <laughs> it's like a catch 22, right? And and that touches on one of my favorite points, which I wanted to ask you about, which is around the the mindset of you know no team or no organization should be reliant on the individual who is technically the leader of it right? It should be able to function on its own. And I view this, my common saying on this is, you know, and what I coach people over many, many years have is you should always be thinking about how you can work yourself out of your job. And it's not to say that you're not going to be useful to the organization anymore. It's just to say that your team should be able to function and run without you all the time so that that frees up time for you to go solve bigger and more important problems that are going to help the organization, right? So that mindset, curious for your thoughts, because it sounds like we're on the same wavelength here, but we'd love to hear your perspective.
0: Absolutely. What you just said reminds me, when I was first moved into that director level role, I had asked a previous colleague of mine who was no longer a company, but he was a leader himself. I asked him, you know, when do you start looking for your your successor? And then he basically told me, he's like, well, if you haven't started already, you're doing it wrong. So like day <laughs> one, you should start thinking about sort of how to remove yourself from the picture. I guess I'm, I'm a little split on this just because sometimes when I do this, I feel like, man, my team must think I don't want to do anything because I'm always trying to make it so the team operates without me, right? But end of the day, I've seen what happens when a manager doesn't do that. If a manager goes heads down, I was talking with someone just previously. And they're people leaders while well, they're line level manager. And they, they were talking about how they just feel 100% at capacity and don't have time to tell you know their, their tech leads or other leaders around them what needs to be done. And I came to the realization a couple of days ago that while it may sound unfair, the leader should be the last person to be at 100% capacity. Because if you're at 100% capacity, you can't look around you to see who else needs what. And so you need a view of the bigger picture. So enabling your team to take on some of those things, not only is a benefit to them because it helps them to grow and stretch. It also helps them to be more autonomous, which is what we want in the long run. But it helps to free you up as a leader to say, well, these two pieces are moving a little slowly. Let me take piece number three and move it over here. And that's far more important than filling yourself up because you don't want the team to take on the the burden.
1: That's right. And, and the classic saying of you can't see the forest for the trees rings true right there right there's no possible way you can see the bigger picture which is a big part of the responsibility of being in that leadership position because you are can see across everything you have the visibility but you have to give yourself the space and you have to give yourself the time and you have to be able to pick up on the patterns to see where things are getting slowed down where things are working really well in order to optimize and figure out what the right balance is
0: yeah yeah and it is about balance though, right? Because I can hear myself maybe saying this to a manager who might report to me and them feeling bad, right? Like, well, I like I feel bad. that I should be doing it because my team is working so hard. And what I would say there is like, well, if your team is working so hard, are they working hard on the right things? Because if not, another reason for you to step higher and to take a look at what the moving pieces are.
1: Yeah. Your team working hard, like as long as they're working hard on the right things, we're in great shape, but if they're working hard for the sake of working hard, or because there's some other blocker that somebody developed to work around because they didn't want to really address the real issue and you see the real issue and you didn't do anything about it, then that's a failure. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. We want to go down that path. So with this particular individual that you were talking to, what advice did you share about that being at a hundred percent and how, what was the guidance you gave them?
0: Yeah, it's the same that I've given to a few other people in the past is one of the first things that I like to do, and maybe you've experienced this as well, but like as a manager, your your calendar is just full <laughs> and there's hardly any like cracks in between. And so one of the pieces of advice I gave to start was to categorize your calendar, color code it by, you know, actual people, leadership things, any sort of team things, inter-team things, and just to whatever categories you think actually fall into your line of work. And then to take an audit if there's one color that really massively outweighs <laughs> the other, right? And so we're still in the process of doing that. But like, I think that that is step one is to see what's really taking up your time. And then to to question whether it should be taking that much or if there's any of those duties that can really go off into someone else's hands.
1: That's great. I love that. And color coding the calendar is wonderful because there nothing beats a visual on a calendar where, you know, three to five categories at most, so three to five colors, and you see just how much is actually related to each color and it's eye-opening. And you say, wow, no wonder I don't have any time because I'm spending 90% of my time in this one bucket and all the stuff that I would love to do, focus on strategy, direction, big problem solving,
0: I'm spending virtually zero there. Hold on. That happened to me when I, when I first took on that organization of 60 is I, I, I made the attempt, I was like, okay, I'm going to do skip levels with everyone and I'm going to do it every quarter.
1: Okay. (laughs) That's a big, that's a big take. Yep.
0: And I I didn't quite do the math ahead of time. And I started doing these skip levels and I, uh, one day I was like, wow, I, I have no time for anything. And I looked at my calendar and it was all red. Red was my color for people for skip level meetings and I, I realized that the that particular you know approach was not sustainable at all. So I had to find something else. But if it wasn't for like that, I wouldn't have easily been able to identify it from the calendar view.
1: So the, the skip level one is interesting. This comes up a lot in all the coaching conversations I have. So how did you handle that skip level where you want <laughs> to keep a finger on the pulse, but you can't necessarily you know allocate time for one on one for everybody, even if it is only once a quarter? How did you handle that?
0: Yeah, I can tell you the things I tried. I can't tell you that any of them were entirely successful. One was I moved it from every, you know, quarter to every 6 months that I would rotate through, which still ended up being a lot, but it also it, it left a longer feedback loop. If you waited 6 months to hear from the same person, you're sort of out of touch. Another thing that I tried was office hours. I would I would post myself in a room uh, and and just have a sign-up sheet or or anyone could just drop in if it was empty and I would I sat before the pandemic, I sat in a room that was very visible. Everyone was always walking through it. So as people were walking by, I could either just be like, Hey, come on in and chat or, or they would just drop, drop in themselves. How much engagement did you get on the office hours? Curious. It was good for maybe the first three months. And then afterwards it, it sort of tapered off tapered a little off. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would imagine. So, all right. Yeah. What else did you try? And then finally, I just started querying my manager. So I'm like, hey, give me one or two people within your organization who you'd want me to to talk with. Or if you're hearing something from a one-on-one, explicitly have them set up time with me and, and don't wait, just have them do it. That worked a, a little bit better because it was more targeted. I got to hear very quickly those things. It didn't work in the sense that there were some people who were just not prone to sort of doing that and speaking up that I just... There were some people in the org that I didn't get to connect with as quickly.
1: That question has come up a number of times in, in my conversations with clients. And I'm um, curious for your thoughts on this because it's been my kind of go-to direction on that is to facilitate some small groups at the skip level. And the group piece, right, it comes with a different dynamic. It's not all one-on-one, so it's not personal. It does allow you to get closer to a larger number of people with less overall time and effort and energy. And if the groups are, you know, even if they're from the same team or perhaps, you know, a group of people from different teams, then it could be a little bit of a networking opportunity for them depending on the size of the org. Have you ever tried any group-based
0: stuff at the skip level? Maybe informally. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was my... Before I, I'd left work days where I was at before I'd left there that was on deck to try I manage a much smaller organization now so there's no need for skip levels but it was on deck to try I, I say informally because there was a group of people that maybe we would all go to get coffee at the same time and they were all sort of Skip levels in, in a sense. So I would go and grab coffee with them and we would sort of catch up on the latest like news. And so that happened on a more informal basis, but nothing formally really. But I do see how that would be very effective. And I definitely probably will make that the first thing I try next time I'm in that situation. Yeah, cool. Well, when the course dog keeps blowing up and he doubled the size of your org, then you got the plan
1: already set in place. <laughs> awesome. All right, Drum, last question here. If you could go back in time, knowing everything you know today, but go back to that point when you got into that first leadership opportunity with that team of three people where you were a peer and then a leader, and you know everything you've experienced to this point, what advice
0: would you give your younger self? Yeah, I would say shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Uh, And the reason is, I I think at at the time, I felt like I had to fill the room with an opinion or a voice not to prove myself, but like, I felt like I was responsible for making sure the conversation moved forward. And that because of that, I was responsible for making my opinion known. We were talking about feedback loops earlier and creating that gap of communication from the, from the manager himself sort of lets you know how much leadership also exists is that feedback loop within, within like a meeting or even just like a, you know, a thread. If it was, I was talking to me, I'd have to tell myself to shut up. But if I was talking to someone else, I'd say, (laughs) you know, speak less and listen more. It sounds super cliche. And I know a a lot of people say it, but it's so true. And it's hard to do all the things that we talked about, you know, create a self-running team, identify leaders and all those other things without
1: being quiet. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, agree. I'm with you 100%. And it's cliche for a reason. Because (laughs) the people who understand and take the cliches and actually do the work, they get the results. It's the ones who say, Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody says to listen more and talk less. I know. I already know that. And those are the ones (laughs) that aren't going to make it very far, right? They're not going to build an incredible team. They're not going to inspire others. They're not going to have a line of people waiting at the door to work for them again. So Jerome, it's been an absolute pleasure talking leadership with you. Thanks so much for your insights on all these wonderful areas covered incredible advice that you shared. So I can't wait to hear what you and the team at Dog, are going to continue to do. So thanks so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.